Hello and welcome to the Talk Tonight podcast. My name's Ewan Grant and after a fairly chaos-free first episode, the powers that be have let me come back and do another <laughs> one, which I'm thrilled about because it means I can talk to even more fantastic artists, just like the one I'm about to talk to now, who is none other than a Von Ham, better known as the kind of driving force behind the indie rock project, for lack of a better word, um, The Sound of Modesty. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> not used to it. Well, no, I feel, I feel like it's quite limiting though saying it's a indie rock project. It's so much more than that. But yeah, yeah, no, it's always weird trying to put your own music in a box to, you know, yeah, tell other people. It's fine. I blame it. I've read. A, I've, I read someone else say. So I'm like, it's that. <laughs> it, it's their fault. <laughs> it's blame them. Um, so it's this isn't quite like Dan because I knew Dan really well when he started doing that. So I had, I've had to do a little bit of homework. And so the first place I started was on your website, which is amazing and everyone must go and check it out because <laughs> it's incredible. And I've just learned oh. that she did it all by herself, which is mint. Um, <laughs> you kind of couldn't be more different to Dan, really, in the sense that you came from a classical background. Yeah, yeah, I did. It started when I was five. And my parents enrolled me and my sisters in some piano lessons. And we used to go every week on a Wednesday for about two, three hours. And we'd, we'd do our lessons together. So we'd take turns sitting on the chair, watching each other play, like critiquing each other help, to help like get better. And then eventually we just started adding more instruments into the mix because why not? Um, so yeah, I started with piano. Two years later, we mixed in some violin. Um, a couple years after that, we added some classical singing. Um, and then we started learning popular instruments. So, yeah. So what was that like then, going through... Because normally, with siblings, cause mm. I'm just talking about me and my little brother, it's like one sibling does one thing, the other sibling is compelled to do the polar opposite. <laughs> Like, they must, they must be different at all costs. So what was it like kind of going through, even what you just said then, you were in the same lessons even, so it wasn't even like you all sort of thought music and one thought, well, I'll do the drums and the other thought the guitar. You were doing the same thing in the same lessons. It's actually funny you say that, because when we started doing, when we were allowed to pick, like, popular instruments, you know, like, how when you go to high school, like, everyone can, like, have, like, a free, like, taste of music lesson, and then if you want to, like, continue, you can do that. Yeah. Um, I chose drums and my sister chose guitar. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so it was from that point we started to diverge yeah. a bit. But um, yeah, up until that point, we were, we had the same teachers, same hours, same lessons. We'd practice at the same times because if one person was practicing, that meant we had to practice um, to not seem, you know, like we were lazy, um, which we were. We, we're, very, <laughs> <laughs> we were very lazy students um, up until quite recently. But um, yeah, I'd say we did have a few differences when we were doing stuff like um, we had when we'd have like exam books, like, you know, how they have like I'd, for anyone who's listening, who does know, like, you know, um, a set number of pieces to pick from. So we'd always had a rule where we would not be allowed to choose the same pieces just so like our parents would not get sick of hearing the same song <laughs> all the time. Yeah. So. Again, this is this is all down <laughs> to your brilliant website that I know this. Um, 
it also sort of mentions before there's any kind of songwriting reference, mm. there's kind of talk of you deciding to break away from classical rock, sort of whatever time it was. And so, I guess my first question would be, what, when was that? When did you sort of think maybe classical's a little bit limiting in what I want to do? Mm, well, I think there there was a specific point where I remember making the change towards pursuing songwriting and like popular music, but the journey towards that was very slow and very creeping because um, I'd slowly started doing songwriting as a hobby on the side. It started with like a ukulele and then picking up a guitar. But um, yeah, I think, I don't know, because being forced to do music lessons makes you despise music for a while. Oh yeah, yeah, when you're a kid. Yeah, when if you're then, a kid. When, if it, well, you, it's pretty fair. <laughs> I don't know about you, but even as an adult, if someone's asking, you've got to do mm. this, well, it's gonna make me not want to do it, yeah. so. I still remember quite distinctly a few times of me like trying to like scream at my mom telling her I want to I want to quit piano lessons I don't want to do this anymore um and then she was like no you're not <laughs> you've got to see it through to the end um and I'm glad she did because eventually I started to like it got to the point where I was decent enough to actually start like uh what's the word like understand de- like my skill level had gotten to a point where I could actually do the things I wanted to do uh, without it being really frustrating all the time. Um, And yeah, before that, I had really gotten quite disillusioned with the whole classical music world. Um, Like we'd go to orchestras all the time, choirs, literally every curricular, extracurricular thing you could think of, we did it. And I got quite sick of it. And until I joined a specific orchestra, with this incredible, incredible conductor. His name's Mark. It's the Harrow, Harrow, oh, shoot. <laughs> Edit out my hesitation. It's the Harrow Philharmonic Orchestra. And um, just being in that orchestra and just having a conductor who's so passionate and like he really understands the material and he wants you to rise to his level. Meeting someone like that really pushed me to start actually appreciating classical music for what it's worth instead of having to learn a song for for 20 minutes just so i can pass an exam just so i can please my parents yeah i feel like i've no but i no yeah everyone wants to everyone wants to listen to you not me so yeah no, <laughs> t- tangents are great we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll take it and, and what the point that I switched, I remember that's the question. <laughs> the point I switched was um, when I was sat in like, you know, um, like a future careers office mm-hmm. at, at my sixth form. And I remember just looking through like the book for Oxford because I wanted to do uh, like either music at Oxford or like English literature. And I just, uh, just remember looking at it and like being, I, don't think I'm good enough to do classical music here. Um, And then I started going through the list in my head of what am I good at? I'm good at songwriting. Songwriting makes me happy. Songwriting gets me attention. (laughs) Oh yeah, we all think it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you're just just here saying it. (laughs) (laughs) No, it, it generally made me happy sharing my songs. And I think 
that was the first time I never doubted my skills. So that's the point where I made the switch. Yeah, and so what what I think is quite interesting is you kind of, because I'm guessing you were still at school at this point, and not to sound patronising in the <laughs> least, I would hope I don't. Um, <laughs> don't worry about it. But no, but at school, mm. it, so example, case in point, mm. chemistry wasn't for me. Any science wasn't for me, to be honest. <laughs> and so I went, science isn't for me. All of it, wrote it off, left it as soon as I could. That was that. But whereas you seem to kind of come to the realisation classical music's not for me, I think it's quite amazing that at the same time you also sort of went, but that doesn't mean music's not for me. It's just a different part of music's not for me. So when did, when did that... Was that when you were looking at the likes of Oxford and sort of thinking, oh, actually maybe classical isn't actually what makes me happy. Was that when that thought process kind of... Yeah, a little bit. I think it was a mix of, like, oh, I've been doing it so long. I've all this time and effort and stuff built into it. It's like, why quit now? Why not just keep doing doing that further? And then another part was, like, um, yeah, like, going to a really prestigious university, you know, doing something that will impress all the cousins and (laughs) (laughs) I don't know it's just something about being like a famous classical musician like it seemed so novel to me at the time but I think looking back it was definitely rose-coloured in my head yeah yeah Yeah. so did just to kind of double back a little maybe it's not doubling back actually but I think it's doubling back if I've kind of got if I've got it right in my head. Mm. Um, you sort of you've just talked about how you were doing like a little bit of songwriting on the side, yeah. Whilst you're doing yeah. all these kind of classical things, and what was that an interesting literature that kind of made the songwriting? What kind of put the words to music? Because if you had sort of doing all these kind of like classical piano and violin and that's not kind of songwriting, is it? There's no sort of words involved in that, really. Mm, no, so, for sure. So was that, was that a love of literature and words and language that kind of married the two together? It was, actually, yeah, because um, I think around the time I hit high school, I got really into reading. Like, I never read much before, but I became stupidly obsessed as soon as high school start started. So I would always be reading... Like, I'd get teachers who would, like, tell me to stop reading (laughs) because I was never paying attention. I would walk with a book in my hands. I'd have people who slapped books out of my hand because they were like, yo, you need to, like, come back, snap back to reality. Um, (laughs) Reality's overrated. I know, right? That's why I always read fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) You got got the picture early Mm. on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, so I'd read all the time, and I think from that point... I want to say it was around year nine. I started, year eight, year nine. I started getting into creative writing. And like, I had this amazing dream in my head that was going to be this world-class author. And I was going to come up with the most amazing fantasy novel idea. And I I pitched like a really shitty, shitty <laughs> uh, summary of a book that I had in my head to, I think it was like some, some critique site for actual, you know, um, literary authors and they gave you the sweetest reply like the sweetest rejection letter 14 um, year old <laughs> um, 
and so I started writing books on the side and poems and prose and I would submit my poems to like publications and I got a few of them published um which you may be able to find if you do a deep scrub but um yeah I, I always wanted that was kind of like my my second option I guess or my first option depending on um how how I felt at the time like to become a famous writer so I have a decent background in writing I'd say and then obviously just marrying the two music and writing I think that was only just a matter of time and it just ha happened to happen when I got into a indie band with my with my friends and then they were like you know what? we should probably not do covers all the time um, of Arctic Monkeys so that's kind of the launch point for that okay but if anybody's listened to any of the sound of honesty at all even for five seconds you know they it, it's a lot more than the Arctic Monkeys. Now, I love the story of the Arctic Monkeys. This is fairly well documented. If you go anywhere near my social mm. media, it's not. You've got the posters. Uh, we've got the we've got the posters. We've got the we've we've got the vinyls. We've got the lot. Mm. It, it's it's well documented. My, <laughs> my obsession. Yeah. Um, but what you found? That's why I said at the start, indie rock kind of feels like I'm selling it a little bit short, because there's so, you're musical knowledge comes across instantly it you, you, you sit there with a very <laughs> self-deprecating look but it does it's you know it's clear that you know you, you know your shit and um what what elements i switched probably quite a hard question to answer actually but if you can answer it what elements from classical music did you find cropping up a lot or what things were you kind of what knowledge were you kind of incorporating most into your songwriting and even though it was all on the side mm. what were those bits that you were like actually maybe there's something in that that's a really good question I think it would have to be annoyingly enough music theory of course <laughs> and I think just like having the musical terminology to be able to describe what you want with decent accuracy because, like, um, I know the music behind The Sound of Modesty, like, I, ca I cannot take full credit for that because I have such an amazing team behind me. Um, shout out to Ryan Chan, Oscar Brewer, Vega Dryer, Jasmine, um, Mumbadkoy. Um, yeah, my, my Ned Forster. <laughs> Ned Earth. Yeah, Ned. No, they're, my, my band are incredible. My producer, Ryan, he's incredible. And, like... I feel like my musical classical knowledge is only like a tiny, tiny slice of that pie. But yeah, I'd have to say... <laughs> Sorry, I just had a little brain fart. Um, but yeah, I'd have to say music theory, as annoying as it is. Yeah, okay. So, after the chats and the career office at school, <clears throat> and Leeds Conservatoire must have started to kind of come up, and you think, oh, yeah, I want to go there, I want to do that, was, because in my 17-year-old mind, it was, I'm going to go there and be a rock star. And that was <laughs> it, that was it. I was like, I'm going there, and I'm going to be a rock star, mm. and that's going to be the end of that, and that's going to be life sorted. But yeah. um, I think you're slightly more nuanced than me. So I think, what was your, did you kind of want to pursue this out of 
kind of a, a learning perspective? Do you just kind of want to go and just learn more? Um, well, to be honest, I'm not as nuanced as you think. <laughs> I was also thinking the same thing. I was, I definitely went in with the dream of, oh my God, I'm going to be a famous musician. That's it. Because <laughs> I, I had a little, little, a, like a smidgen of, like a little taste of fame um, when I first started doing YouTube and I would like upload like my original songs and then I post on social media and be really cool. Um, I actually have all those archived now because they're so cringy looking back. But um, the recognition I got from that was such a serotonin boost. I was like, I could, I could do this forever, honestly. And then obviously I burnt out, but then I went back into it and I was like, you know, I could make a career out of this. Um, so that's kind of like, if I was being like smart and like talking to other people, I'd say, oh yeah, I want to like get into the music industry and like learn songwriting and learn production. But honestly, I just wanted to be famous. That's nice. To know. <laughs> That's nice to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, did Sound of Modesty come about before starting at Leeds Conservatoire, or was it during? Because I feel that I I only think I know you from that mm. and I was aware of it quite early on starting at Leeds Conservatoire so did you kind of set that up quite quickly after starting or was that there already? So when I came to Leeds Conservatoire I had the name The Sound of Modesty and I had maybe like I had a pretty decent catalogue of songs written but they were like shitty songs like I think maybe 80 or so um, but when I came to Leeds Conservatoire, it was just me, my songs, and a guitar. And in the first year, thanks to some incredible people, and just like reaching out to other people to see what they had done, I managed to uh, basically grow this team with me and Ryan, my producer, um, and bandmate, a, a band. Um, I had managed to release um, some singles by the end of the first year, pre, before COVID. <laughs> um, I had managed to do quite a lot in that short time. And I think, yeah, before that, it was just me and a guitar. So, I mean, maybe this is, maybe this is quite personal, but <laughs> so seeing as it kind of came from you and all your musical knowledge and just the guitar, Mm. I can imagine, so total control basically. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, no, total control. Total honestly. control. Yeah, control um, freak. And then coming and thinking, okay, I want to want a band out of this, and you kind of start meeting with these amazing, talented people, mm. all of whom that you've mentioned. Yeah. And I'm sure some more as well. Um, how did that feel to all of a sudden have a little bit less control? As you can't physically play five instruments. Yeah, You're incredible, yeah. but yeah. No, I wish. <laughs> five no. instruments at once on stage isn't isn't quite possible. Mm. Yeah, I know. I think it was definitely a scary time for me because I was putting like my baby out on the line, like all my all my deep personal fears in song form, and asking a stranger to produce it, asking a stranger to play it, and being like. Um, how do I translate what's in here out there and for everyone else to understand as well and I think 
yeah, it was terrifying, but at the same time, it was also exciting because it was the first time that I wasn't alone in it. Because doing doing songwriting, um, so songwriting in general is a very personal process. So when I was in London, it was really just me in this project. And like, of course I had my family supporting me and like my really good friends. Um, shout out to you guys. Um, it, it was nice, but there was no sense of, what's the word? Uh, it's like reassurance from people who you knew had the same level of expertise, the same level of skill, like who had that musical vocabulary to be able to tell you what was good, what was not, instead of just, oh my God, that's so good, because they've never heard a C minor chord. <laughs> it's almost vindication then. Yeah, if, if anything. And I think, yeah, giving up control was the best decision I made since coming here. Yeah, and you were saying about struggling to translate what you had in your head to all these different people. Mm. And I'm sure lots of people are in a similar boat or hoping to one day be in a similar boat where they're trying yeah, to yeah, translate what is in their heads to, to other people. Mm. And what ways did you find most useful to translate what was in your head? I think, I don't know, because some days I still do struggle with translating. But then when you're working with other people, there's also the benefit of coming up with something you never could have imagined in your head. Because obviously your head is just one box, but if you combine all the boxes, you can make a castle. <laughs> I sorry, that was just a weird that's, analogy. That's beautiful. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, a yeah. box castle. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I think... Yeah, I do struggle with it sometimes, but I think the best ways is just honestly trial and error trial and error just trying trying as many different things as possible experimenting with sounds experimenting with texture experimenting with styles as well and um just being open to sort of hearing your music in new contexts until something you know sticks and i think that's what's worked best for me and me and my my music Oh, oh yeah, and it's and it's definitely working and, <laughs> and continues to work. Um, yeah. Was there? Because I don't think I I like indie rock and indie sort of my little thing, and I, I think Hell I know yeah. quite a lot about it. But I don't. I couldn't put a finger on anybody. I'd kind of go, oh yeah, no, no, she's going for that. Mm. So who, you know, who who are you listening to that that makes you go, oh, I want to sound like that because <laughs> it's so original and it sounds so unique. I'm, I'm fascinated, I mean, anybody that listens to it will be fascinated to know what, what, what kind of, who provokes that out of you? Of course, yeah. Um, well, my top five are usually Mitski, Bjork, Regina Spector, Imogen Heap, and oh, in my heart I want to say car seat headrest, but I'm probably closer to probably closer in sound to like Muse or Radiohead in terms of instrumentation yeah no 100% and um, no but again you know that's some some that are kind of you think yeah kind of indie rock staples it's Muse, Radiohead and then some that are so different as well <laughs> do I mean that's you yeah. know, that's not sitting down with indie band and, and again this is not a knock because this is basically me so I can say it and it's like you know Libertines Mm. Sabian, you know, that's 
it's really different and it's really diverse. And do you think, I mean, obviously that's like a plus, but do you think that, does that make it more exciting for you? Listening to so many different people to kind of go, oh, it's been really different to come out of this. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's really exciting because it's like, I've got all these different worlds to sort of pick and choose from and sort of meld into my own brain. But at the same time, it's kind of like, oh my God, I have so many options. What do I fucking choose? Am I to swear? Absolutely. Oh, thank fuck. <laughs> Sorry, mum. Absolutely. Sorry, mum. No, I couldn't do this if you couldn't swear. Yeah. Oh, another massive influence, I have to say, is just J, J-pop, J-rock, anime music in general, because that's what me and my producer bonded over. And I feel like there's just so many good anime OPs that I can't reference them all. So, yeah. I just realised you've been sat doing this interview for a bit now, but where, where did the name The Sound of Monsty actually come from? Okay, so in my head, I thought I was being really smart and really, really clever with The Sound of Modesty because um, someone who's modest wouldn't make sound. Okay. It, it was supposed to be a funny joke, yeah, yeah, but it yeah. just comes <laughs> off as... I don't think anyone really gets it, to be honest. Um, it was also inspired by Sound of Music, Modest Mouse. Oh, I was yeah, literally yeah. struggling for names for so long because I cannot market myself as a Von Han. It's it's too boring. <laughs> I, I mean, I got mine off a t-shirt, so I think mm. that's that totally, <laughs> totally works. Yeah. Um. So what what have you got coming up? What this is this is your time to this is plug time. Yeah. <laughs> Gigs, music, mm. the lot go. Well, a lot of gigs that haven't been announced yet, which is annoying. Uh, a lot of sessions, um, pre-recorded live sessions with um, some amazing independent creators that I'm not allowed to announce yet. Of course, of course. Um, uh, it's kind of a running joke that I've been working on my debut album for I think what is forever now. Um, I share snippets online here and there under like song, like uh, song five, song 10, like when I'm sharing behind the scenes. And it's taken so long at this point. I might die before I finish this album. <laughs> but every debut takes forever, right? Think, oh, for think, sure. But thinking about it does, doesn't it? Mm. Because it's it's forever up until it comes out, isn't it? So. Yeah, it's, it's the very first time you're putting something that monumental out there. Yeah. But yeah, it's a concept album about family and how cognitive, how... How do I word this? And about how there can be cognitive dissonance in both loving and hating your family. And we sort of had this underwater theme for the album. Um, you can kind of see it with the singles that I have released for it. Uh, that's Stalemate, Warm Floors, Cold Bodies, As All Things Should Be, and A Perfectly Too, with um, these amazing um, single artworks taken by uh, a London photographer called Diana. Um, Diana Patient and she's incredible but the sort of idea with the water theme was that you can sometimes like like how you're in water love f familiar love can be both comforting like all around you as well as pressure and you can sometimes feel like you're drowning in that love and that's basically what the album's about if I finish it <laughs> <laughs> no but I'm, I'm sure you will and all the um all, all the singles that you've just talked about 
are all available on Spotify yes. and Apple Music and all go, the other places. Go stream it. <laughs> but do go and stream it because you'll be doing yourself an enormous favour because they're wicked. Um, they're really, really good. And so, I guess this will be my last question, but mm. it's it, I've kind of stolen it from Desert Island Discs, but I've adapted it and I'm asking everybody. <laughs> it. Hell yeah. So instead of sort of five songs or album, that's, everyone gets asked that, and mm. no one tells the truth. But so what? What my angle on this is? Who would be your Desert Island collaborator? Does it so, have? Does it have to be like someone that I know personally, or it, no? It, I was just about to say it can be anybody. It could be someone you've known forever. It could be someone you might think you'll never meet in a million years. It Mitski. could be some. Wow. That that's I know like I've been so ensnared by her music like she was one of my biggest inspirations like coming into the scene you know like a prominent asian woman like doing rock of all things and her music speaks to me so much so if i ever got the chance then mitski for sure i uh, just maybe this maybe this won't won't change your answer but i do have to kind of put this angle onto it too because obviously Ooh, okay. if you're on a desert island yeah it's it's artistic collaboration, musical collaboration, but yeah. what's got to live with them? Yeah, you, I, it's just the two of you on this island. There's no other people. I'd live with Mitski. Yeah. Yeah. She seems really cool, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That was that was so easy. That was, like, <laughs> that, that was so certain. Yeah. But um, but no, I think that's about it. I'm always really conscious of like overstay my welcome on these things so. <laughs> um, <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me it's, it's been it's a pleasure been, it's been really interesting yeah and um thank you all for listening and i'll be back with another fascinating artist very soon